Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit has placed on his heart for this moment. Words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. Join us each week, wherever you get your podcasts, to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. And now, your host, Ralph Martin. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and what I think are the five most important decisions I've made. I think there's even more important decisions I didn't make that God made. You know, God decided to save me. God decided to rescue me. God decided to not give up on me. So it, it, it begins with my family, and I, I was born into a really good Catholic family in uh, New York City, and then we moved to New Jersey, and uh, my parents were committed Catholics. My grandparents came from Ireland. Um, you know, we were, we were really in the faith. They had me go to Catholic schools, and I believed everything they taught me in Catholic schools. In those days, everything they taught was pretty good. Uh, but then as I got a little older, I began to run into the world, the flesh, and the devil. I said, oh no, you know, what's, what's, what's ruining this beautiful picture? And I began to be attracted to, you know, culture. I began to read the New York Times. I, uh, when it came time to go to college, uh, I told my parents I didn't want to go to a Catholic university because I'd been, you know, 12 years at Catholic schools. I wanted to kind of explore the world a little bit. And they told me, well, if you want any financial help, guess what? You're going to a Catholic university. <laughs> So then my only option was to see how far away from home I could get. So in those days, believe it or not, Indiana was like the far west. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that famous New Yorker cartoon where here's the East Coast, here's California, here's this sort of like flyover territory. So my wife continually says, she's a Michigan girl, and she says, I hope they keep flying over. I hope they don't land here and ruin our beautiful Michigan. So... Uh, I went to Notre Dame. Yeah, I went to Notre Dame, and uh, I was kind of like, kind of bumbling along, you know, I was changing majors, you know, I started off in, you know, political science major, studying Russian, and I decided it wasn't really getting me deep enough in contact with truth issues, so I became an English major, and then I said, I'm still not getting close enough to truth issues, so I became a philosophy major, and the more I studied philosophy, the more confused I became. So uh, that's where I was when I was a senior at Notre Dame. I was doing my senior essay on Nietzsche and Plato. They, they both were really kind of going for the absolute, you know, in different kinds of ways, really opposite. A roommate uh, invited me to make a weekend retreat. And uh, he, he invited me months in advance. And I said, I don't want to go. I'm not interested. And about three days before the retreat began, he came to me and he said, Guess what? They've accepted you. Wait, I said, wait a second. What's this? He said, remember when I invited you? You know, well, I put your name in, they accepted you. And uh, now, in those days, it wasn't kind of cool for guys to cry. Nowadays, it's a little bit cooler. It's okay. Guys cry these days, you know. But my roommate, when I said I can't go, he, he started to cry. And I said, stop crying, I'll go. But I said, I warn you, I'm not going to compromise my intellectual integrity. You know, I'm a philosophy major. You know, what do real estate agents and whatever, you know, have to teach me? Really horrible attitude. I mean, that's called arrogance and pride, and it's really terrible. Anyway, went on the cruise. It's called the Cursillo. It's a little Spanish renewal movement that 
maybe 70 million Catholics have benefited from around the world. And uh, I went on it and I said, I'm not going to fall for the group dynamics. I'm, I'm not going to fall for this warm human experience and you know, think I'm actually having an experience with God. Well, the talks about the Catholic faith were really beautiful. And I say, you know, gee, whoever, whoever invented this was pretty smart, you know? And, you know, that's a terrible attitude, isn't it? And then I, th- I think I'm really touching the mind of God. There's, there's such profound harmony to these truths. And then ordinary folks began to talk about Jesus. And it, it made me feel uncomfortable. Like, what's going on? Do these people have a relationship that I don't have? Is, is it really possible to have that close a relationship with the Lord where you talk to him and he's your friend? And I was sort of resisting, I'm sorry to say. You know, I was sort of like not wanting to uh, surrender to this. And then all I can say is at a certain point, I felt like uh, this Jesus who they're speaking about was in the building. Like, I remember saying, I, I think I think he's here. Couldn't see him, didn't hear anything, but I just felt like, I think Jesus might be here. And that really got my attention because if Jesus really had been raised from the dead, if he really was alive, if he really was the Son of God, my life was just stopped in his tracks. I knew that if Jesus really is the Lord, the only sensible response to make to him is total surrender. You know, the difference between the creature and the creator is huge. And the clay doesn't get to tell the potter what to make out of it. So I knew that if I was to acknowledge that Jesus really is the Lord, the only sensible response was uh, total surrender. And uh, I was struggling with that because I knew it meant opening my whole life to the Lord, my future, uh, career plans, uh, friendships, sports, you know, just everything. It just would have to be all submitted to the Lord. And thanks be to God, on on the the last morning of the retreat, uh, I got the grace to swallow my pride, to humble myself, to go to the sacrament of reconciliation and uh, just tell the Lord, I give up. You're the Lord. Tell me what to do. And just really surrender my life to him. Then at the very end of that weekend retreat, I I really experienced the love of God being poured into my heart. Uh, I mean, again, I didn't see any flames of fire or anything like that, but just this love got ignited in my soul. And I, at the end of the retreat, they give people a chance to say a few words about what they got out of it. I remember what I said. I want to spend the rest of my life knowing and loving Jesus and helping other people to know and love him. And that's basically the rest of the story. So I think the most important decision I ever made was that. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he really has died for our sins, if he really has been raised from the dead, the only thing that makes sense is paying attention to him and following his will. Because Jesus has been sent by the Father to bring us home.
you know, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, you know, the Lord placed an angel with a burning sword to keep people out from paradise. But now the Father has loved us so much that he sent Jesus to bring us back to the Father's house, to bring us back to paradise. And the only way we can get back to the Father's house is through Jesus, because Jesus says, nobody's seen the Father except me. Nobody knows me except the Father and those whom I reveal myself to. And we are so blessed that we have been given the gift of believing. And when, when Peter recognized who Jesus was and says, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, you know what Jesus said? He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. You are recipients of a miracle. The Lord has illumined your mind and heart and shown you the truth about who Jesus is, and that's an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift. It's the gift that can save us. It's the gift that can give meaning to our life. It's the gift that can lead us to the fulfillment of all desire. You know, it really is true that John 3.16 is a good summary of the gospel. You probably all can recite it. It's just really true. It's really profound. God so loved the world. This is all about love. This whole thing is about love. You are about love. The only reason we exist is because God loved us into existence. And God's loving to heal us of our sins. God's loving to bring us back to his home. To be with him forever. Through Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, it's common to say that God loves everybody. God loves the world. He really does. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. Jesus has come so that everybody can be saved. But it's not automatic. We have to make a response to him. God's mercy is infinite, but we have to say yes to that mercy. We have to say we need that mercy. We need the forgiveness of sins. We need the healing of our soul. Whoever would believe in him, and believing is not just intellectual belief. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Believing is trust. Believing is surrender. Believing is obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Jesus became the source of salvation for those who obey him. So we're living in a culture that celebrates disobedience. We're, we're living in a culture that celebrates rebellion. We're living in a culture that mocks God. We're living in a culture that breaks every one of the Ten Commandments and mocks it. So we've got to pay really careful attention to what Jesus is saying to us because only he has the words of life. The only way we're ever going to get back to the Father's house, the only way our life is ever going to be saved and meaningful and blessed is if we obey him. Okay. Now, did you notice a little phrase, will not perish? There's really something at stake here. Christianity isn't a game. There really is a heaven, and there really is a hell, and it utterly matters whether we respond to Jesus or not. It utterly matters not only whether we respond initially, but whether we stay with him. Enter the race, stay in the race, and finish the race. Get in the race, stay in the race, and finish the race. That's really what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. So decision number one, Admit who Jesus is, and admit that you just open your whole life to him. 
But he loves your life, and he has happiness in mind for you. Second most important decision I ever made happened a couple weeks later. I don't know if you, any of you remember that oldie Motown song, You've lost that love and feeling, love and feeling. Sometimes you lose the loving feeling. Sometimes you don't feel the presence of God. Sometimes you don't feel the love of God. And you know what happens to a lot of people at that point? They say, I guess this is real. It wasn't for me. It didn't stick. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed. Some of the seed falls on the ground. It gets snatched up right away by the devil. The devil takes the word right away. Some of the seed falls on the rocky soil, and it sprouts up a little bit, but it doesn't have deep roots, so it just disappears. Some of the seed falls into thorny territory, and it grows up for a while, but eventually the anxieties and cares of life choke it off. Some of the seed falls onto good soil and bears 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Jesus isn't telling us this because we're being condemned to one type or the other. He's basically saying, don't be the stony soil. Don't be overcome by the cares and anxieties of life. But be fruitful. Remain with me. Jesus says, if you remain with me and my word remains in you, you will bear fruit. And, okay, and then the Father will prune you so you bear more fruit. Now, pruning is painful. You know, I don't know if you've heard a story that says, I never promised you a rose garden. We're not promising you a rose garden on earth yet. We're promising you a path to heaven. We're, we're promising you a path to eternal life. And there's pain to it sometimes. The pain of conversion, the pain of surrender, the pain of saying no to sin, the pain of saying yes to God, the pain of obeying when we don't feel like it, the pain of loving when we don't feel like it. So, a couple weeks later, after this weekend, I lost that loving feeling. And I had a decision to make. And I knew that even though I wasn't feeling the presence of the Lord, I wasn't feeling inspired, that this was the most important relationship in my life. And I needed to build into my life a, a focused way of paying attention to God, even when I didn't feel Him. So for me, that meant taking some time each day for personal prayer. Decision number two, we've got to spend some time each day paying attention to God. We've got to pay attention to God. My favorite definition of prayer is paying attention to God. Now, there's a lot of helps that we can have to help us do that. I don't know if you've seen that little monthly thing called Magnificat where they have like readings of the Mass each day. A little. This is a real help to having a daily prayer time. Just kind of, you know, you wake up, sometimes you feel prayerful, sometimes you don't feel prayerful, but get this out and, and, and read the psalm and meditate on the scripture readings and there's other good things in there too. Or Jesus Calling. Any, any of you know about Jesus Calling? Yeah, I, I, I gave copies of that to my three granddaughters who went to camp as a way of them staying connected to Jesus when they're not at camp, you know? And uh, So get, get some little spiritual reading type thing that can help you pay attention to God. Um, start with maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day, you know? And, and, and just, just really do it. First thing in the morning is best, but sometimes that is impossible. Do it during lunch hour. At least a lot of people wait until they go to bed, kind of end up 
sleeping in the Lord. There, there is a scripture passage that says the Lord gives to his beloved while she sleeps. So the Lord's still loving you while you're sleeping. And, and the Lord's still working in your soul. You want to have your sleepy prayer times or distracted prayer times. But you got to pray. You really do. And you got to make it somehow build it into your daily schedule in some way. And if you fail, it's okay. Get up the next day and try again. Third most important decision. Hanging out with other people who want to follow the Lord. I had some close friends, you know, at, at Notre Dame. And after I turned my life over to the Lord, I wanted to go back and tell them about him because I knew they were heading in a direction that wasn't very good. And uh, some of them were interested. Some of them I even got to make a weekend retreat like this, but others uh, didn't. And I knew that even though I wasn't naturally the closest friends to other people who had this conversion experience, that I needed to be with them. So I got into a small men's group more than 50 years ago, and I'm still in a small men's group. It's not to say men. You know, people come, people go, people change. But um, getting into regular contact with other people who want to follow the Lord is just really important. And what I'm talking about here is this is wisdom for life. You're going to go on to different places, and these are things that you need to build into your life so that you kind of stay with the Lord and finish the race. What a terrible thing to, you know, get in the race and stay in the race for a little while, you know, but not, not finish the race. So gear yourself for the long haul. Uh, the Christian life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. So you got to pace yourself. you got to build things into your life that can help you kind of sustain a lifelong journey. So, spiritual friendship is really important. Being in regular contact with other people who want to follow the Lord, who, who we can share our life with, who we trust, who, who uh, can help us when we're discouraged, can pray with us when we're confused, can kind of strengthen us when we're tempted. We just really need to be with other people uh, who can help us. And so, you know, Francis de Sales says, ask the Lord to give you spiritual friends, and he will. So that's just really important. Uh, fourth decision. This isn't just for you. This isn't just to bring some peace into your life. This isn't just to bring some sanity in your thinking. This isn't just to get you to heaven. This is for everybody that you care about. If you care about brothers or sisters, uh, siblings, mothers or fathers, if you care about people that you randomly run into, you're not just going to care about them getting over their sicknesses or getting into good schools or finding good spouses, although that's important. I should tell you that the small group that you're in should include your spouse if you get married. Uh, marrying somebody who also wants to follow the Lord is really important. So be patient. Wait. If the vision tarries, don't give up. Better to be unhappily single than unhappily married. It's much more miserable to be unhappily married. It's really important to set your heart on, if you feel called to the sacrament of marriage, on a Catholic husband or a Catholic wife. And if you get involved with somebody who doesn't share your faith, it's a recipe for difficulty and disaster. Okay, number four, decision number four. 
even though I didn't know a lot, I, as Pope Francis said in one of his documents, he said, if you know that God loves you, you know enough to tell somebody else that. You don't need to get a theology degree. And so sharing our faith when it's opportunities to share it. Not, we don't have to go out in the street corner necessarily unless the Lord leads us to, but if we're concerned about people's eternal salvation, and we should be, because that's what's really at stake in everybody's life, we're going to be open to sharing our faith. And so it's not rocket science. Somebody says, hey, where were you on Wednesday night? Well, rather than telling them where you are after this meeting, tell them where you were during the meeting and what happened. See what happens. See if anybody's interested. If not, that's okay. We'll kind of throw out a little kind of bait and see if anybody takes it. Or if you read a good book, you know, that really awakens your faith that you think somebody, one of your friends could use, you'll share it with them or a good YouTube video or something like that. You know, Renewal Ministries has an amazing YouTube channel right now. When, when COVID started, we had 7,000 subscribers uh, and, and then Peter and I started doing videos every other week and now we have almost 53,000 subscribers and it just keeps growing every week. People are looking for the Word of God, looking for encouragement in the midst of confusion. So, you know, there may be videos there that, that your friends would be touched by. Uh, or inviting them to things. You know, when uh, your parish has a parish mission or has a speaker, Scott Hahn comes to town or somebody like that, uh, you might say, oh, I've heard Scott already, you know, I, I don't think I need to hear him anymore. Well, just make a sacrifice and go for your friend, you know, and pay for them. Invite them to go with you, pick them up, and then talk to them afterwards about what they thought. So there's just many natural ways of sharing our faith or sharing our story, sharing our testimony. Like right this afternoon in the seminary, I'm teaching a class at the seminary of all the transitional deacons who are going to be ordained priests next spring. And uh, I have them practice giving a five-minute testimony. You know, practice talking about how God became real to you in a way that fallen away Catholics or non-believers can't understand what you're talking about. So some of them start saying, well, I want to adoration. I say, stop. Unbelievers don't know what adoration is. Or then the Eucharist is so important. Stop. They don't know what the Eucharist is. Find a way of talking about how God became alive to you in a way that unbelievers can, can understand what you're talking about and open up a conversation. Okay, that's four. Five. Thank God I'm a Catholic boy. You ever heard about thank God I'm a country boy? Yeah. It is such a blessing not only to know Jesus, but to be a Catholic. It really is true that Christ founded the Catholic Church. He did. And it really is true that people who depart from it um, every Christian denomination that has split away from the Catholic Church has ended up sooner or later no longer following some teachings of Jesus that the surrounding culture doesn't like anymore. Whether it's the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Methodist Church or the mainstream Lutheran Church, they begin to make compromises. And it isn't like the Catholic Church is a sterling example right now of holding steady, but it's holding steady even though it's wobbling. And the fullness of the means of salvation are really in the Catholic Church. And uh, there's a protection there. There's a blessing there. There's a fullness there that's important. doesn't mean we don't respect and honor Christians in other churches, that we don't love them, that they can't be holier than us. But as a church, what, what a blessing to be a Catholic.
and, and it's really important to uh, settle that issue, not in a proud way, not in an arrogant way, but it's not our own doing that made us Catholics, it's the Lord's grace. You know, and He who has been given much, much will be expected from. So, uh, hey, I've been through ups and downs, I've been through setbacks, I've been through failures, I've been through uh, this, that, and the other thing. Like, uh, after I graduated from Notre Dame, I was in with five minutes of uh, trials and tribulations. Uh, after I graduated from Notre Dame, I went off to Princeton for a year, working on a doctorate of philosophy, but uh, I was really much more concerned about bringing my fellow students to the Lord, you know. So I got about 25 of my fellow grad students at Princeton to make the same retreat I did over in Brooklyn, got them into small groups, and uh, one of them became a priest even. And my fellowship got renewed, but uh, I realized I hadn't really opened my life fully about what I should be doing. I was just on a lot of act track on academic life. And, uh, so that summer, a friend and myself uh, spent the summer at a Benedictine monastery in upstate New York bailing hay and asking God to give us guidance for our life. So we kept getting this passage, sell all you have and come follow him. And of course, we knew enough scripture scholarship to know you're not supposed to take that stuff literally. So we went to the uh, prior of the monastery at the end of the uh, summer, and um, and we said, you know, we keep getting the scripture passage. What do you think we should do? We were almost certain he was saying, well, get your degrees first, and then kind of figure out what God wants you to do. But what he said was, well, if you feel like that's what the Lord's telling you to do, that's what you should do. So we sold what we had and followed Jesus. Of course, it was really easy to get that scripture passage those days because we had hardly anything to sell. It was the best time in our lives to get that, that scripture passage. So we started hitchhiking across the country, and one thing led to another. We got ended up in Lansing, Michigan, and working for this Corsillo movement thing and doing campus ministry at Michigan State. And then the Catholic Charismatic Renewal broke out, and we started having prayer meetings in our uh, down first-floor apartment, and a lot of the football players were coming from Michigan State football team. And in one particular prayer meeting, one of the offensive guards, he wasn't offensive, he was like an offensive guard, got so touched by the Lord that he just fell on the floor and started saying, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. And this scared some of the little girls in the parish, so they jumped out the window. It was a first floor window. Yeah, it was okay. We were floor apartment and first floor window. And then went back to the pastor, who was a fairly conservative, you know, traditional kind of pastor, and said, crazy stuff is going on down the block with those guys that you now have hired as campus ministers. So we went out there to a leadership training thing in Colorado. I came back a day early, and uh, my key didn't work in our apartment anymore. And I looked in the window. I say, gee, that's not our furniture. <laughs> and... Uh, what had happened was that the pastor told the real estate agent to uh, move the guy's stuff out. They were fired. So it took us a couple days to find our stuff. And then it took us a little while longer to find a place to stay. So we stayed with some friends in Williamson, Michigan, on the condition that we helped dig ditches, literally dig ditches of sewer line. So that's what we were doing after our great experience with God. And, <laughs> and then uh, the, the pastor at St. Mary's Student Chapel here in Ann Arbor uh, heard that we were available. So we kind of quickly washed off the mud and said, oh yes, we're available. And he said, we'd like you to come and work at St. Mary's. I said, well, haven't you heard? We just got fired in East Lansing. He says, I don't care what you guys do. Nothing's happening here. Nothing's working. Do whatever you want. So we came to Ann Arbor and began knocking on the doors in the dorm. And pretty soon we had maybe 300 students coming to prayer meetings at St. Mary's Student Center. 
And then after a while, we got fired from St. Mary's because we were overwhelming the student center. So uh, that's kind of some, some of the early adventures. There are many other adventures like that, you know, uh, very many painful things. Went to Belgium for 44 years. Uh, two of our daughters were born there. We, we called them our little Brussels sprouts, you know. You know, I came back, you know, ran through, like, painful stuff in the community here. And so out of all this came Renewal Ministries, came Christ the King Parish, came Hope Ministries, Hope, Hope Clinic, uh, and so many other things, you know, uh, came Euron Valley Catholic High School. So all this thing that God was doing uh, in, in Ann Arbor uh, just has blossomed in so many different ways. And so and this is how it began, by the Lord touching us and throwing us out of places and, you know, getting fired. And so if you run into disappointments in your life, if you make mistakes, if other people do bad things to you, if somebody betrays you, if, if humiliating things happen to you, God's ready to bring good out of it. God's ready to bring good out of it. Don't ever get discouraged. Don't ever give up. For those who love God, even a little bit, everything works according to the good. So please gear yourself for the marathon. You're in the race. You're running the race. you got to finish it. And that means you just keep your eyes on the goal. The goal is nothing, nothing else in heaven. Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field. He's worth everything. Paul says, I've suffered the loss of everything in order to have him. Because if you have him, you have everything. You have eternal life. Do you know what eternal life is? It's amazing. Life on this earth is so short. It's, it's passing so quickly. Only one thing is necessary. That during our time on earth, we come to know Jesus Christ and love him and follow him and open our lives to him. And if we do that, Billions of years of happiness and love wait for us in the Father's house. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast, or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin. Ralph Martin.